Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast. This week is Fourth uh, of July week. I uh, so happy Fourth of July. I don't know if you're listening to it on the Fourth of July, but happy Fourth of July nonetheless. It's a great time of the year. It's a uh, it's it's uh, one to reflect on on how lucky we are to be part of the United States of America which makes your life a lot easier when it comes to the idea of, of getting rich and uh, something to take heart and something to think of. But anyway, on with the show here. Now, uh, first, I'd like to remind you again, there is a website there called wealthformula.com. You might be familiar, and there's all sorts of extra resources to go check out there. I encourage you to do that. You can also download Seven Secrets of Eternal Wealth, my Amazon uh, bestseller, you can also simply do that by texting me at 44222 and typing Wealth Formula, one word. Again, that's 44222, Wealth Formula, one word. Now, one other thing that's super cool that I think a lot of people have already taken advantage of is, you know, I've, I've sort of hit the um, the new age, you know. Uh, the the I, I have an app. I have a Wealth Formula app that you can get on Stitcher, iTunes, you know, all the usual subs, uh, uh, places that you buy apps, right? Um, and the cool thing about it is that you can, um, you know, you can easily download, you know, you don't have to go to your podcast thing and flip on uh, Wealth Formula Podcast, try to find it anymore. You can go there. You have all the podcasts right there. You, you may or may not know this, but we do all these on video as well. Uh, so we can, you can watch, uh, if you like, because it's connected to the YouTube channel. It, if you are a member of Wealth Formula Network, um, you can also connect directly to the forum through there. You can even leave me video, audio comments, you know, questions for an Ask Buck episode. It is full of uh, fun stuff. So check it out. Go to the App Store and get that Wealth Formula app. Speaking of the forum, so there's this whole thing called the Wealth Formula Network, which effectively is the mastermind of uh, Wealth Formula. And uh, it includes, um, well, being part of Wealth Formula Network implies that you uh, have access to the course that I did uh, that has an incredible lineup of people, including the likes of the real estate guys, Tom Wheelwright, Kevin Day, Dean Graziosi, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But you also have access to each other vis-a-vis the Wealth Formula uh, Network Forum. And then probably the thing that's been the most popular is a biweekly mastermind call. So um, this is, uh, I'm sorry, folks, this is dirt cheap, so you should check it out, wealthformularoadmap.com. It's an enormous amount of, uh, you know, for, for what you get is a, an unbelievable uh, value. So check that out, wealthformularoadmap.com, and uh, join us. I mean, this mastermind needs you, right? Or at least uh, Maybe you need us. I don't know. But but anyway, there's a, there's a tremendous value in having the collective intelligence of this group. I have to tell you that I've learned things on this these calls uh, myself, and, and uh, you really shouldn't miss out. And uh, so anyway, on with uh, today's topic, which is burnout. Okay, now burnout, 
it's a good time to think about this. Holiday comes around. Are you one of those people who's just like, oh, thank goodness it is. You know, I'm off work for a few days. I'm so happy about that, you know. As you know, I left medicine entirely about, oh, it's been about a year ago. I mean, for the most part, I was doing like a day a week in my businesses up in Chicago for a while. But I was, you know, I was mentally out of this a while ago. Um, and now in Chicago, I still have a couple of these medical related businesses that they run without me. Uh, but without question, I have moved on. I have gone another route. All of my physical and emotional energy are devoted to things outside of medicine, like real estate and life settlements and all these kinds of fun things, even cryptocurrency. Uh, and, um, why? Well, you know, I used to think it was the reason that I was out of medicine and, and into these other these other things is that maybe I have a little bit of what they call attention deficit disorder. And that may be the case. I don't know. Maybe. I probably do. Most entrepreneurs do. Uh, you know, sort of that been there, done that attitude. It seems like every five years I need to re uh, re explore, reinvent myself, that kind of thing. Um, of course, that doesn't include my wife. I've been, well, she and I have been married now for 10 years. It's going to be 10 years in a couple of days here. And uh, anyway, the thing is, when I think back to when I, uh, when I started not enjoying medicine, the frightening thing is it actually started in residency. And it actually started out in my first year of surgical internship. Talk about going way back. I mean, geez, I didn't even start it and I was already burned out. And it's sad because, you know, I was a highly, highly, highly motivated medical student. I was driven to succeed. And um, back then, my professors loved me in part because I was a big kiss ass. But then I started a neurosurgery residency and, well, I sort of lost my mojo. What do I mean by that? Well, I experienced the following. Physical and emotional exhaustion. Cynicism and detachment. Feelings of ineffectiveness and lack of accomplishment. All right, if you haven't figured it out, I just heisted these descriptions from a psychology journal uh, that used these particular uh, definitions to describe someone who is suffering from burnout. Okay, so I was burned out. The physical... Okay, so going back again to these three things, there was the physical and emotional exhaustion. Well, you know, back then, uh, I just figured it was because I was working 100 hours a week. <laughs> I was a neurosurgery intern and neurosurgery resident uh, year two, and this was before they had this thing called 80-hour work week. Those of you doctors out there uh, who know what I'm talking about, they, they used to have this you know, unlimited, you could just work, you know, work residents forever and you pay them like, you know, 30 grand a year. My first year in internship, I made $35,000 uh, that year. It was like 2002 and I worked easily 100 hours a week. So you do the math, it's somewhere under minimum wage. But anyway, pretty soon, you know, there was some bad press and they had this work week called an 80-hour work week, which no one really enforced anyway. But that was, uh, that's the history of that. So anyway, physical and emotional exhaustion, that took care of that one. Now, cynicism and detachment, that was the other part of the uh, the um, definition of burnout. Now, this is horrible, right? I was surrounded by death in the neurosurgical ICU. Uh, when a patient died, honestly, it wasn't sad. It was an inconvenience. I found the paperwork irritating, and it was difficult to be truly compassionate to families. Now, as terrible as that sounds, it's the truth. I hate to say it, but that's the person I had become, right? I mean, I, this is what you're dealing in day in, day out. You know, it's hard to like, you know, you, you do anything like that on an ongoing basis and you're completely desensitized, right? Boy, I could tell you stories and maybe one day you can ask me about them, but, um, but uh, <laughs> it, it gets kind of crazy. So that's number two, cynicism and detachment. Number three, feelings of ineffectiveness and lack of accomplishment. Well, as for feeling ineffective and uh, lack of accomplishment, well, you just need a couple of unsupportive 
senior residents or chief residents to make you feel like crap. Surgical training, in most cases, for those people uh, who don't know this, is quite hierarchical. You know, it's, it's just the way it is most of the time. And I found that uh, not all, but a lot of surgical residents, uh, and, and particularly in my program, uh, were of the kiss-up, kick-down variety. In other words, they always tried to, you know, make themselves look good, and they, they kind of liked to beat up on the, the, the junior folks, um, you know, and, and kind of step on them. I hated it. I hated it. And especially if you consider who I am now, it's an incredibly independent entrepreneurial spirit. This was the worst thing that could ever, ever happen to me in the nature of who I am. That's why sometimes I think if you are a really good surgical resident um, in a hierarchical program, you're probably not an entrepreneur. <laughs> I mean, you may be, but I don't know how the, those two become compatible. Anyway, remarkably, so so anyway, so that's how I uh, that's how I define myself uh, when I look back, and it looks like I guess I was just burned out, or maybe I just happened to fit those things. Remarkably, despite this, and despite the fact that it was the first year of my residency of seven years of surgical training, despite that, I finished and I graduated, uh, and you know I, I went on to become a full-fledged non-resident, you know, attending surgeon, which, of course, I didn't do for that long. You know, uh, but I was dissatisfied, and it was, you know, it was all of this feeling of burnout that ultimately led to my dissatisfaction, and it also, frankly, made it really easy for me to go in another direction. And and that's kind of what I was getting at when I said, well, if you were a good surgical resident, you probably would not be an entrepreneur because you could deal with it. This I was I hated it so much that I was looking for something else, another direction. Now, did I have to go to another direction? Was that the only way for me to feel better? Well, I always thought so at the time. But if you look at burnout, as I have described it with these clinical descriptions, as a kind of disorder like depression or maybe a back problem, you know, a literal a literal pain in the ass, then maybe there was a way to not give it all up and start over. Not that I look back and, and think that, uh, that I wish I could, but maybe there was a way. Um, uh, but, you know, I did start over, uh, but it was easy for me to do that, um, easier for me to do that than most. First of all, I didn't have much in the way of responsibilities when I first started my entrepreneurial life. My first you know, my first daughter was a baby, uh, and my wife and I didn't even own a house. We were, you know, we're renting. I think our rent was maybe fifteen hundred bucks a month, which was, you know, seemed like a, you know, <laughs> it wasn't that much, right? I mean, um, you know, for a family, but uh, especially considering you know the kinds of things that we're paying for now. But well, gosh, we just didn't have much to worry about in terms of expenses, and you know, I didn't have to worry about you know paying for college. I mean. Because my daughter was only like six months old, so I had I figured I had at least seventeen years to figure that one out. Uh, but for others, you know, golden this this idea uh, that you can't escape from that, you know, uh, the golden handcuffs of a high paid job and responsibilities like paying for mortgage and for private school and colleges make burnout a particularly devastating problem because, you know. You're in silent desperation, right? You can't do anything about it. And in that case, if you are in that position, or maybe somebody you know is in that position, it's good to know that maybe to that you can look at this problem as a, you know, a clinical diagnosis, one that you can possibly, like any other ailment, treat, treat the affliction without having to give it all up, amputate amputate the career, so to speak. Um, maybe you can actually just simply continue uh, with the work that you're doing, but not be miserable, right? So burnout is a real problem for people uh, who are highly successful and well-paid. But, you know, most people have little sympathy for high-paid professionals making $300,000 per year feeling burned out. I mean, people look at 
and people look at you know this demographic our demographic and think why are you complaining i mean i'm like you know i make like you know 50 grand a year and i can't pay my bills you should be happy well everybody's got their thing right everybody's got their problems that they have to deal with but the fact that people have this attitude makes people less uh, likely to come out and actually look for you know a way to help themselves so that makes it even more difficult to deal with because you you might feel like it's not okay to admit that you're not actually happy but the reality is at every level again people deal with the same junk right we're all human we all have problems we all have things that make us unhappy and maybe maybe uh maybe the what's going on with you or maybe somebody you know is maybe you're just burned out maybe someone uh, maybe someone can you can help somebody with this or yourself with this kind of topic and, and coming to grips with this. The good news is that there's help out there, you know, just like there is for any other ailment. And uh, there's not a reason to just feel like you have to be miserable for good anymore. And my guest today on Wealth Formula Podcast, we're going to take a little step back and get a little touchy feely here because we're talking about burnout and um, my guest today is Diane Ansari Wynn. She is um, a board-certified anesthesiologist who went through burnout herself uh, and has now become an expert on helping other physicians identify and cope with burnout. Now, of course, burnout affects everyone. And even though Diane uh, works primarily with physicians, I think this is an important topic. If it's not affecting you, it may very well be affecting somebody around you if you live in this whole sort of this demographic, this, you know, highly specialized, high paid demographic. So so you you may be able to help yourself. You may be able to help somebody else. Make sure you tune in. And when we come back, we're going to have Dr. Ansari Wynn tell us all about burnout. Worried about saving too little too late for retirement? The Wealth Accelerator may be exactly what you need. With the help of some of the oldest and most reliable insurance companies in the country, Wealth Accelerator allows you to take most of the upside of any good year in the stock market and use bank loans to magnify those returns significantly. And what if the stock market has a bad year? No need to fear. Wealth Accelerator is engineered so you don't participate in the losses of the market, no matter how bad of a year it is. Sounds too good to be true, right? But it's not. It's simply the same financial engineering that the ultra-wealthy have been doing for years. Now it's your turn. Check it out for yourself by going to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder this stuff is so profitable and recession-resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast is Dr. Diane Ansari Wynn. She was a practicing anesthesiologist uh, when she ultimately burned out in 2012. And uh, after 15 years of practice, she gave it up to pursue a happy and fulfilled purpose-driven life. And now she coaches other doctors uh, going through burnout and has her own podcast called Doctor's Life, which really could be called the High Achieving Professional's Life, as these problems are common to uh, all of that, all, all people who are really in that situation. But uh, welcome, please welcome uh, Diane to the show. Welcome. Hi. Hi, Buck. Great How to are see you? you. Good, good. So, um, welcome. And so, take us back, Diane. You know, um, back to pre-professional days. And you know, why did you decide to become a doctor and anesthesiologist in the first place? And then, what changed? I love talking about this. Um, gosh, you know, I had wanted to become a doctor long ago. I was probably about twelve or thirteen years old, and um, 
I have a cousin that's about 10 years older than me and he's a family medicine doc. He trained at Stanford and he was ahead of me and always encouraged me to go into medicine. I got to follow him around and it was really cool. Um, but initially I didn't think I would really become a doctor. I just watched him and thought what he did was cool. But then uh, when I was in high school, I should probably, I must've been 13 or so. Um, I did, did an assessment test and said, well, you could become a priest or you could become a counselor <laughs> or you could become a doctor, <laughs> you know? So right. I thought, shoot, you know, I can do that. So I never really gave it up. There was a, there was a point at which I was at university of Michigan and I went there for undergraduate and medical school, actually a combined degree and, uh, medicine and public health. And uh, when I first started there, I got there and um, I hit a kind of a, a stall. You know, I was doing well in my other classes, but I was taking this calculus class and it just really, uh, I wasn't doing well in it at okay. all. And that okay. was not, you know, what I would usually do. I was used to being like most of us, high achieving people, right? Used to being at the top of my class. Sure. And, so I got discouraged and thought, well, maybe I'll do nurse practitioners. Yeah. Just something different. I couldn't do it. Right. And, um, and then I just regained my purpose again, after talking with my parents and talking with my cousin who's been mentoring me uh, throughout my career and got back on track. So, um, how I got into, so that was kind of, it's kind of a theme where I think I'm going to do something and then I kind of think maybe I won't and then, you know, reset, get back on track. So I went to medical school uh, straight from undergrad to med school. Uh -huh. um, a lot of people don't, can't yeah. do that these days or don't do that these yeah. days. Yeah. You know, you take gap years and stuff, sure. but I went straight in and um, then after a couple of years, I started feeling kind of tired. Like I thought, gosh, you know, I had already gone through straight through and, um, you know, I've had finished high school grade early. So I was relatively young and thought, gosh, I just, I'm not so sure, you know, I want to go straight into clinical. So that's when I took a, what was supposed to be like a, a year that wasn't as busy. And, um, and got a master's degree in public health and health behavior and health education. Typical doctor, right? Let right? me just like, oh, take a year take off and get a master's get degree as a break, school. right? <laughs> yeah, instead um, of like traveling the world or like right, whatever, right. you'd say, I'll yeah, just get well, a master's you know, degree. You, sure. We talk, you're, we're talking about, uh, you, talk, you like to talk about wealth. And so, you know, one of the things I kept in mind was, well, what's going to happen to my student loans if I take a year yeah, off? Yeah, yeah, sure, so sure. And just going. Um, so then I, I was thinking I was going to be a pediatrician. So after medical school, I went into residency in pediatrics. And I about October of that year, I realized that pediatrics was not going to be for me. Uh -huh. um, I was actually in Chicago at the old Children's Memorial, which is associated with yeah. Northwestern. Yeah, yeah. And um, I hadn't actually done anesthesia before, uh, but I talked with my fiance, who's my husband now, um, who's also in med school. And we kind of just went through my strengths and what I like to do. And um, I liked that high energy kind of work. I liked yeah. being in the ER. Um, so I thought, well, I'll try anesthesia and see. So I actually took my application to another residency program uh -huh. that was in my neighborhood at Illinois Masonic. And um, I was just dropping off the, inter the application, but by the time I finished, they'd offered me a tour and I spoke with the residency program director and I got offered wow. a position. Okay. <laughs> so I took All right. And uh, that was really a good fit for me, anesthesia. Uh -huh. I liked the intensity of it. I liked working on a team. You know, you're an uh, ENT doc, so you know what it's like to work on a team together with people that you uh, know, like, and trust. Yeah. And yep. uh, doing 
good things, amazing right. things. So where did the so burnout did, come in? Yeah. So I did that for about 15 years and uh, probably about year 10, I started thinking, gosh, is this all there is? Is this all I'm going to be doing for the next 20 years? Yeah. And um, went another couple that, oh, you know, it's, it's just because I have young kids and I have a husband and stuff. You know, you start, you don't really look at it that deeply because you're too busy working. Um, but then a couple of years later, as you know, just like this is not going away. I'm not shaking this. So, um, so I, I tried to get help and support, which I did to some degree, but um, eventually it was, I decided that I needed to go ahead and leave medicine. So about maybe two years before I actually left, I started my exit strategy because I was paying the mortgage and private school. And, yeah, you know, as you yeah. talk about the golden handcuffs, yeah, so yeah. I had to come up with the strategy so that I could, uh, what it, I felt like I could afford to leave yeah. um, medicine. Of course, I wasn't familiar with the, some of the techniques that you teach. Yeah, sure, uh, sure. That I had the opportunity to study, but um, so that's my, so that's my story. In a what was very, it? Very what was the nutshell. root of the burnout? What, because when you talk about ultimately, that's one of the things that you really focus on, right? With, with health professionals yeah. and uh, yeah. people. Are, so what is burnout? What do you think it is with your experience of all these people, your own experience? What exactly is it? That's a good question. You know, what I think burnout is, is there's, well, there's a definition of burnout, more traditional definition of burnout where they're talking about that there's um, components of culture that the, especially in medicine, that the culture of medicine doesn't support self-care and self-actualization and the institutions don't support it. And then as us as physicians, we don't really take into account our own self-care, our own humanity and our own self-actualization in our work. And uh, basically, I think at the core of it is a disconnect between um, who you are as a person and how you're functioning in your work. So if you're looking at what you do as being the most important thing, um, being your, your work, um, and you're not taking into account who you are, which is your purpose and what's most important to you, your relationships, your health, um, your finances as well. Uh, if you're not taking all those dimensions into account, then you're going to end up burned out, you know, because half of docs burn out and half statistically and half of docs don't. So it's not like being a doctor means that you're going to burn out. Does burnout um, mean, mean quitting? Or when you no. use the statistic? Well, that's, I don't think so. I think there there's solutions to burnout, right? And um, what I coach docs on are the solutions to burnout, which is primarily rooted in self-care. So it's taking care of yourself um, in the dimension, like social dimension, which is relationships. There's um, taking care of your body there's um, taking care of your emotions or your emotional health. Um, there's also your mental health that's really important. And so to take all of those things into um, account, including inspiration, things that inspire you, what, where, where is your heart? Where is your purpose? Yeah. Um, those things are critical in being anyone, I mean, it's, you know, we're talking about being a doctor here, but just being a self-actualized human being. Well, I mean, I listen, it, it sounds like it, to me, it sounds a lot like a midlife crisis, right? I mean that, cause, cause, um, I think that, um, and, that, and I, I say that just as a, a reference as a reference because yes. it, you know that's what people talk about with midlife crises right you just kind of start looking at what you're doing and you're not really understanding what am i i mean am i gonna really do this the rest of my life is this is this it right yeah I mean, interestingly that is a really nice uh parallel and 
the funny thing is though, with the burnout shows up with doctors, it can show up as early as medical school. So maybe, you know, you have like a, a early midlife crisis, so to speak, you know, when you're in your twenties or in your thirties. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's an age thing uh, necessarily. Exactly. I, just, I think, exactly. I think the point is when you, when you start, especially if you think about it in terms of, you know, professionals who are going to professional school, whether it's engineers, lawyers, et cetera, mm-hmm. um, they, they tend to be people who have been really pounding the pavement in terms of academics for a very, very long time. And um, there's always uh, there's always a carrot, right? There's always something you're striving for. And then one day you're actually there and you don't have anything you're really striving for anymore. And then you're like, wait a second. You know, when I was in high school, I wanted to go to college and do well. And I wanted to do college. I wanted to go to medical school or law school. And then then I wanted to get into the best residency or I wanted to be in the best firm. And then I got want to be in this fancy hospital or whatever. And then you're there. And then all of a sudden, okay, so now do this for 40 years and die, right? I mean, it. <laughs> it so anywhere along the path, you can potentially say, well, gosh, I'm I'm here. I'm doing kind of what I thought I'd do, but where is this headed? And is this really all it? I mean, so that to me, and I can say that from personal experience. I've kind of you know, uh, I seem to have that that pivot every five years, no matter what I do. <laughs> so, oh yeah, you know, you know. Well, I think that I think you've hit it on the head, and I it's kind of what I was alluding to before, which is that if you're focused on the doing. What am I doing? And looking at doing things as a way to be fulfilled in life. And you, you're not paying attention to who you are and what you're doing. You know, right. you can go through the mechanics. Another, and so that can lead to burnout, I think, because you're focused, you're, you're externally focused and your, all of your rewards are coming from external rewards. Yeah, yeah. That's just, it's actually like, exactly backwards if you consider it i was talking with another uh, a psychologist who wrote a book uh, called the the me factor it's actually a, a book that's written about burnout and it's tailored for men uh-huh. and what he used was um if you look at your life you can look at it in terms of a target like a you know a target that you shoot arrows at you put yourself in the middle and then you're relationships with your spouse and your family and then the next ring would be your relationships with others and then your hobbies and the things that you like to do and then work is on the actually on the outside and I I think that's pretty accurate actually that um, you know if your work fulfills you then that's one thing but if you're looking for work to just give you stuff and you're not looking for what you can, what you can give and what you can get out of your work personally, then no matter what you do, you, whether you're a doctor, lawyer, um, yeah. you know, investor, whatever you're doing, you're going to run into that. Yeah, um, I think that's Because true. if you're asking yourself always, what's in it for me? Instead of like, how is it going to grow me? What is it going to do for me as a human being? How can I contribute? then it's going to end up empty. Right. So, um, you know, I used, you know, sometimes I say that, you know, one of the keys to uh, happiness is figuring out what your mission in life is and actually spending your time trying to do that. And part of that may be identifying the thing that you would do every day if you could. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, make that the thing that you do do every day. And I'm not talking about playing golf because everybody, a lot of people say, oh, I just play golf. Well, you get pretty bored pretty quickly. <laughs> and I can tell you from personal experience that boredom is 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 a problem that not a lot of people get to, I think, experience the this whole, like, I can retire, but now I'm bored. There's got to be more. And that's that's been actually more my, that's more what I experienced, which was, um, uh, you know, it's still a work in progress. But um so you mentioned a little bit about the factors of uh, health and fitness playing into this. You know, I personally believe that all thoughts and emotions are ultimately just physiology, right? I mean, you, I mean, you and I both know 
uh, that, that you know we we see people all the time who seem to be happy and and you know content all the time right no matter what you're like what's so great about today they're always happy <laughs> starts to piss you off right and then and then there's people who are dark and brooding and you know it just seems like nothing's ever good enough and it just seems like there's always something that could be uh, wrong with the situation and in my mind as a physician i uh and and I, again i've sort of personally experienced this where i've had moments of like you know, I'm really happy right now. Why am I really happy? And it occurs to me, this is physiology. This is not necessarily psychology. What do you make of that? Do you think to me that's the thing that I'm I'm getting to, you know, starting to conclude is that we're all like these, you know, you know, we're we're people obviously who've got complex chemistry and physiology. But all these things that we're we try to break down into psychology and figuring out solutions, a lot of it's to maybe if I could just alter my physiology in a is somehow, that really that's what I need to be focusing on, and psychology will come up, come with for the ride. Well, that's an interesting thought. Um, there's a couple things that that I want to comment on there. One is that um, I mean you're absolutely right that that's the whole idea. You know, behind psychoactive medications, food altering <laughs> well, drugs. And not, and, and, <laughs> right. And to be clear, I'm not advocating so, is so that is the <laughs> ultimate cure is just so, to start, you know, right, drinking all the time. But, weed or whatever, you know, right. let's see, you live in California and I used to live in Colorado. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the, the cool thing is that uh, I agree with you that part of our emotions do come from physiology sometimes we create these loops, right? Where um, if our heart is beating fast, right? We can, we can interpret that as being excitement or being anxiety or maybe a little bit of both. So there, there is that piece. The cool thing though, and the coachable thing, I'm a coach you know, that works with doctors around stress and burnout, is that um, the, you can change your physiology by changing your thoughts. Um, because as you're changing your thoughts about things, you change your feelings and your feelings do manifest as physiology in your body. Um, take, you know, a simple example. Um, say you're somebody who hates Mondays. You love Sundays, you hate Mondays. And um, you wake up one day and you don't really know what day it is. So if you think it's Sunday, you're going to feel amazing. And if you think it's Monday, you're going to not feel so good. And it was, it was a simple matter of thought. Like you woke up in the same bed, you know, it's, so there, there is that. And it is, it's trainable and teachable. Pavlovian feedback. Yeah, exactly. It's operant. It's operant. Well, we are, we said we wouldn't talk about psychology, but it's operant conditioning, just like you said, Pavlov's dog. Right. So, right. and you can, that is trainable. And um, actually a lot of the more recent research about anxiety and kind of deregulating anxiety in your body is related to exactly that principle that um, ring I a have, bell and you feel a certain way or, you know, you can train yourself to do it or, or be coached on it. Yeah. I, I think um, that that's something, um, I guess the, the training aspect, uh, mm-hmm. we, you know, um, going back to the idea of, of being able to train your, you know, w- when I, when I talk about altering your physiology, what I, what I'm kind of getting at there is that if we start focusing on, you know, what is it that, what kinds of things like start to make us feel good? And is there a way to, you know, way to get more of that and understand how that works? Uh, that to me is manipulating your your physiology. A good example of that actually is so um, you know I have been I've talked about this before, but I've had some interest in meditation, particularly transcendental meditation, mm-hmm. and um, and it's not it's not like a you know voodoo type thing. Um, what it is is it's sound science behind this stuff, and what you find is in people who uh, meditate. Uh, do the transcendental meditation regularly, they have, um, you know, they, they increase these beta waves 
uh, mm-hmm. and in their prefrontal cortex. It's sort of the CEO of, of, of your brain, right? The wise part of your brain. And it really um, puts it in harmony, those beta waves, with the, the rest of the brain, creating this sense of, you know, well-being. Um, and so to me, that's sort of an example of that, which is, hey, you know, we can we can hack this thing if we understand at the mm-hmm. core of it that if we change our physiology, we can change our psychology. Well, how do we change our physiology then? And maybe that makes us more whole. And, and that gets to the point of what you were talking about, which is, I think, incredibly important and true that you know during this striving for wealth we have to remember that wealth is holistic in nature that the uh what we're really trying to do is just you know be content and happy with our life you know monetary fulfillment is part of that but really uh you you know you can strive all you want but if you're not getting happiness internally you're going to have a problem later you're just never going to be you're never going to be quote unquote happy Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've got to be enjoying that process as you're going through it. Because, um, you know, the moment that you succeed is just a very small part of what you're doing. You know, you may create, you enjoying the planning and create creating the wealth. Um, is once you get there, it's, you're like, okay, well, that's great. I'm there. But you're probably not going to just sit there. You're going to want the next thing. That's human nature. Right. Um, and the beautiful thing about that is if, the, if we recognize that, that there is, that we're, that the striving for something is, you know, they always say it's the, not the journey, it's the destination. And it sounds very pithy. I think it's the opposite. But it's, but, <laughs> oh, sorry, other way. It's not the, yes, It's not the destination, sorry. it's the journey, right. It's not the destination, it's right. the journey. right. So yeah, even that, like I can enjoy messing up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the deal is, you know, and I, and I appreciate what you're saying because we were, I was talking about changing your thoughts because our thoughts are always running. So as long as our thoughts are always running, it's good to be able to manage them and change them to create this positive state, um, which ends up changing your physiology. And um, part of what I teach too is, meditation because sometimes just shutting off your brain as much as you can those thoughts and just being in the present moment is um a huge benefit so i love what you're talking about yeah yeah i remember i remember actually and it's funny because again this is a this is a show about wealth and we're talking about this this is all important in fact um it's funny i was uh people on my show all know who uh, Robert Kiyosaki is, he's one of my influences. Right. And so I was talking to Robert, um, last April and he was, he was telling me that he does transcendental meditation and, um, it, and he was saying, yeah, you know, it, it helps to turn off the monkey brain, right. Mm -hmm. Because of the monkey brain that's sort of jumping around. And he says, it in his words, it doesn't keep me from being an asshole. I could just see myself being an asshole from the outside, <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was pretty funny because I have certainly experienced that. You're like, oh man, listen to me, this is terrible. But um, right. but yeah. So so when you have somebody who's experiencing that, you know, the burnout, however we're defining that, which is clearly just this just sense of discontent of, you know, this feeling that what am I doing? I'm not real happy and stuff. You've got, you know, multiple steps on and with your coaching program. Um, you know, obviously we're not going to, uh, you're not going to be able to cure anybody who's got that problem on this show, but broadly speaking, how do, how do you approach uh, somebody who seems to have these issues? Yeah. Um, thanks for asking. You know, I just want to back up for a second and point out that, um, Burnout isn't just a discontent, feeling discontented. Um, it's actually uh, feeling there's a three main components to it. Because some mm-hmm. people ask, like, well, am I burned out or am I just unhappy with my current yeah, situation? Yeah, that's a good point. Okay. Yeah, so um, so burnout is has three components that have been described by Christina Maslach. And those components... Um, So somebody that's really burned out has like these three major components. So they have the part where they're feeling 
um, they're feeling not as like they can't do their job as well. Um, so they, they're feeling a sense of um, not being as efficient. So I definitely felt that when I was an anesthesiologist, uh -huh. I was, I was actually really good at my job and I got a lot of um, good feedback about it. I had, you know, my surgeons were requesting that I take care of their family members and stuff, even till the very end. But I didn't feel like I was doing a good job. So there's that. Yeah. There's a, there's um, emotional exhaustion where you just feel like you, it's hard to get out of bed. It's hard to get stuff done. And um, I definitely had that as well. And then there's this other piece that is really important. Um, and it's that's depersonalization. So you start to look at the people that you're serving or the, um, the most of us at, that are these high achievers, we are serving someone or we're leading someone. Um, maybe we're leading a team. Um, you start to feel as though those people are like a burden on you. So yeah. that's, so it's, you know, it's like, it's, it's not just malcontent. It's actually this, it's pretty severe and serious. It can actually lead to, you know, to feeling uh, depressed and, yeah. you know, it's, it can be pretty, yeah. pretty nasty. So, but getting on to um, how to help, you know, there is definitely hope for it. I'm, yeah. I'm certainly a, a product of that. I'm six years out and I'm just on top of the world. <laughs> oh, that's good. And, um, it's, and it's not just leaving your job, you know, it's really starting to recognize that the things that you need to take care of yourself and the things that you do are not going to fulfill you. It's who you are. So take that. And then how right. I help doctors are, I look at those five components. Um, and I teach connection to others, calming techniques, um, which are not meditation, but they're how to be calm and relaxed um, as you're going through your day. Um, we learn about inspiration and find things that inspire us and nourish our spirits and determine our purpose. Again, a lot of the docs that I work with, they go right back to practice once they realize um, what their purpose is in life. They kind of just lost it. Um, then we teach caring for your body. So taking care of your body and then emotional fitness, which is diffusing negative emotions and cultivating positivity. So, right. Yeah. Well, good stuff. So that's what I teach. And, it, and um, you know, so bottom line for your, your listeners out there, uh, first realize that uh, you need to take care of yourself as much as you can take care of others. As a matter of fact, your capacity to take care of others and to do your work is not going to be, it's not going to serve you if you don't take care of yourself first. And then uh, start to look for whatever lights you up, whatever makes you feel happy. Um, start there. And then I like quieting your mind, actually. So one of the things yeah. that I, I think is really important because um, that mind can run and that can be exhausting all by itself. That monkey mind yep. can really exhaust yeah. you. So quieting your mind is really important. So how can we, um, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, we'll certainly uh, put the website into the show notes. But if you want to give us a website um, where we can, uh, if someone wants to reach out and potentially talk about getting some some uh, feedback from you sure um, love to i'd love to help um i work primarily with doctors but anyone that's listening please reach out to me um i want to help you become your best self or direct you to um, how to do that um, so you can reach me at www.dianeansariwin.com that's d-i-a-n-n-e-a N S A R I dash W I N N dot com. Um, you can also find me at the Physician Vitality Institute. Uh, that's www.physicianvitalityinstitute.com. And um, if you want to listen to more topics um, around this subject, uh, you can listen to my podcast that uh, Buck mentioned earlier, and that's the Doctor's Life podcast. 
Uh, you can find that on iTunes and Google Play and at www.thedoctorslifepodcast.com. Important stuff, I think, to to everybody who's really a hardworking professional out there. Uh, Diane, thanks so much for being on Wealth Formula Podcast today. You are welcome. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Hopefully that was of use to you. Uh, burnout is a topic that is not, you know, maybe it's not so sexy compared to some of the, you know, making money, getting rich stuff we talk about around you, but it's real, man. And I I'm per, I pretty much guarantee that there are people listening. Uh, maybe it's not you, but there are people listening who just had an, oh man, I am totally burned out. I got to do something about this moment. And that's uh, hopefully if I even, you know, we touched one person, then that's great. So we got to do this once in a while because it's all about holistic wealth. Holistic wealth is not only about being, you know, financially well off, but you got to actually enjoy your time here in life because you never know. You never know, man. You just never know when it's going to suddenly uh, come to an end or something like that. You got to enjoy it. You got to be happy. You got to make sure that people around you are happy as well. Now, uh, part of that um, being happy is a community, and I'll take that segue again, and emphasizing that one of the most uh, powerful things that we've done as a community is to have this Wealth Formula Network, uh, along with the bi-weekly mastermind uh, calls, and uh, you should definitely check that out. It is, a, I think it's a tremendous value. Go to wealthformularoadmap.com. We'd love to have you on board for these conversations. And that is it for me this week. This is Buck Joffrey with Wealth Formula Podcast signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Buck Joffrey here from Save You with Buck Joffrey. Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.